Welcome to the Vail Christian Church Podcast. This week, Elder Mike Van Fleet continues our Summer of Psalms series with a message from Psalm 1 titled, Rooted. At Vail Christian Church, we believe in training followers of Christ to worship, gather, give, and serve. Good morning. So glad you guys are here. Like we've said that a couple times already, but it's totally true. And I'm glad too that you're here. This is such a great crew here in the room, our live stream. Um, It's been a great summer. Sometimes we have like a little bit of like a, hey, it's summer vacation time, but not, not Vail Christian Church 2021. We don't do vacation apparently. We do church. It's awesome. And it's odd though, because this is, the, this is the year for vacation because nobody took any last year. I mean, 2020 was not the vacation year. And now all of us have like gobs and gobs of vacation time built up, or some of us. I know I do. Um, usually I don't like get our family out for vacation every summer. I'm a bad husband and dad like that. We like, we hunker down so we have vacation time left for hunting season later in the year. <laughs> Maybe so dad can have hunting season vacation. Um, but I'm glad you're here. I, I, I did have the chance to get our, our family to Anchorage last week, which is just super amazing. We picked a great week to when it got like 115 degrees. I mean, we barely took off from Phoenix. We had to go back to the airport like gate twice to unload people because it was still too hot at like 10 p.m. I was like 115 degrees at 10 p.m. Turns out the planes can't take off very good when it's 115 degrees. Uh, So we had to get back and it was hard a week ago to get back on that plane to come to Tucson because man it was never above 65 in Anchorage and it was just beautiful. So I hope you guys have had a chance to do that and get out and and really unwind after what's been a heck of a year uh, I think back to a year ago when I was up here and taught the last time, all of our chairs were like a little bit further apart and we were all of us mostly wearing a mask. And today, oh, the chairs are like the more norm, most normal they've looked in a year. And I don't see a lot of masks. So we're getting back to normal and I hope that includes you guys getting out with your families and enjoying some time off. But we're certainly glad you're here. Um, Like I said, I'm Mike Van Fleet. I'm an elder here at the church, and I get a chance to speak every once in a while, and I really enjoy it. I think it's good for me to get up here and talk to you guys just from the position of our our leadership team, not because you don't typically hear from elders. Ben is a part of our elder team, so you hear from an elder pretty much every single week here. Um, What's a little bit unique is I'm the only one who speaks here who isn't part of the ministry staff. You know, I have a regular professional career that like a lot of you have, a lot of you know me, you know I have a professional career that's the standard office job I go in, I fill out my time card, I worry about like work stuff all the time. Um, So I have that perspective that's similar to most of you, uh, especially a lot of you guys that I've spent like a career working with. Um, But I also have the perspective of being here as the only member now of the leadership team besides Ben who was here when we started this church. And I've gotten to see just how we have grown and how things have changed. And all of a sudden, it's like, wow, we didn't just plant this church. I had to, like, change my vernacular. Like, oh, yeah, we just planted this church. It's been 15 years. 
during that time, my daughter was born, grew up in this church, and was baptized. Um, so that's not just just planting a church. Uh, but that, that's how it feels. And, and I get to share things that uh, I see from that perspective. And I wanted to share one that comes from our, our trailhead class. And I, I speak at our trailhead class. It's something I get to do pretty frequently as, as part of the elder team. It's, it's a key class. Most of you have been in it by now. It's like when we bring people together and go, this is our church. This is how you get connected. We are built on community groups. This is Matt Miller. This is the Jaramillos. These are all of our great people. We want you to know us so you can get connected. It's like I tell them, it's like one of the hardest teams to get on because we want some of our core people to be in there as we're telling everybody about how excited we are about our church and how we want them to be connected. It's the trailhead. Well, one thing is changing, which is usually we have done this class once a quarter. So by the end of the year, we've done four, maybe five of them. And today, we're doing Trailhead Today Next Service, the fifth one of 2021. We've done one every month except April. And oh my gosh, there is excitement and energy in this church. I want to say almost like I've rarely seen in that 15 years. I mean, we, we've been consistently strong, but Man, there are people coming. The Lord is energized and moving here in our church. And that's just one evidence that if you're just here for like a year or so, you might not realize it. But those of us who have been here are just like, man, the Lord is moving. And that's why you've, you've seen Ben get up here. And he's showing all these great videos of like, look at the campus. And we're swirling through, seeing people standing outside of buildings that don't exist yet. And we're talking about... Now is a time we need to be aggressive. We need to keep this momentum. That, that's exciting. It's exciting to me. And what I want to say from our leadership team is all of us are in that. I mean, Ben is the one who talks most of the time, but behind him, we have a leadership team that makes decisions based on consensus, and we are seeking the Lord for this church. And we are like, yes, that is what we need to do. We need to keep this momentum and, and drive into the future because the Lord is moving and we need to respond. If you've been to that, that class, that trailhead class, we talk about how we lead this church as an elder team. And we have these things we call the ends, the end statements. It's kind of a goofy name at first when you hear it, but it makes sense because it brings about this imagery of we're pointing in the direction we're going and we're establishing who we're going to be. The end statements. And we have one that says we are going to seek to discover where the Lord is moving and we're going to respond without hesitation. And just like all of these statements, that drives where our action goes and our funding and our motivation. And that's the situation that we're finding us, ourselves in right now. We didn't say, Lord, it's time to move. We're ready to respond. No, he said, we're going to move here. This community is going to change. We're going to bring maturity and growth into your body. And things are going to start moving. And so we want to be ready to respond without hesitation to that. And so it's important for me to say, we, we make those decisions as a whole leadership team. And all of us are just like, now is a time in our church. There were times, like, I remember signing the paper for when we bought this land and signing the paper for when we chose to like build this building. And in front of us is the chance to grow and expand like that again. Um, and so I want to mention that to you guys and kind of share that just from my perspective. And I also want to bring it up because I'm going to connect 
Psalm 1 and the fruit that talks about coming from living a godly life to that. And that's going to come up later because we do these things to respond to the Lord to produce fruit for him relative to the mission he's given us, which Christ has said, go to the ends of the earth and find the people who are lost and bring them to him. And I'm going to connect it to that. So with that, let's jump into Psalm 1. I'm going to read it. If you have it open, you're free to follow along. That'd be magnificent, whether it's in a paper Bible or a phone or an iPad. You might ask, Psalm 1, how did it get to be Psalm 1? Like of all 150 Psalms, how did you get elected to be the very first one? That's kind of a big deal. It's a huge book. What, what puts you in that position? And we know this is the, the compiled songbook of the Hebrew people. It was, you know, initially authored in many, many pieces. A thousand years before Christ came, even further when Moses was there, some of the first psalms were authored, continued to be authored and compiled by the people as their hymn book, as they sang and they praised the Lord. Most were written by David and they're written in there. The psalm of blah, 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 written by David. Most of them say that. Some say nothing like Psalm 1. It doesn't actually indicate who wrote Psalm 1. Then right about the time when the Hebrew people, Israelites, came back from captivity, they were coming back to a country that they didn't actually own anymore. They were just living there and the Romans were in charge of it, uh, where they, they were coming back. And that's when they got compiled, put into this group. We know it had to be before Christ because in the Gospels, Jesus says, like the book of Psalms says. So we know we had to be before that because he talks about it. So we had to exist. Some people think it was Ezra, one of the main leaders that was part of coming back to captivity, him and Nehemiah both. They thought it's likely him who pulled the five sections that had kind of indigenously grown into the book of Psalm. And they think he might have actually wrote the first and the last one. If you picture yourself in the position of, hey, there's this massive work of, all these different songs generally oriented around praising God. It's your job to put them together. Go do it. You might pull them together and go, okay, I want this to be a singular work, so I need like an opening and a close. And that's kind of what Psalm 1 and Psalm 150 look like. Psalm 1 has common themes that you see across all the Psalms, and you're going to see that today. And they're pretty clear if you think about, what do you think of when you think about Psalms? You think about David seeking the Lord's help with enemies that are coming against him and praising him and struggling with temptation. Those themes are in Psalm 1. And then 150 ends with praise the Lord for this, praise the Lord for that, praise him, praise him, praise him. And it ends with a purpose of the Psalms, which is praising the Lord. So that, that Psalm 1 piece that we're going to look at today isn't very long. Some of, some of them are enormous. If you go look at Psalm 119, it's actually like, Psalm 1 times 10, but the same theme just over and over again. But this one is very short. I'm just going to read the whole thing here. How blessed is the one who does not follow the advice of the wicked or stand in the pathway with sinners or sit in the assembly of scoffers. Instead, he finds pleasure in obeying the Lord's commands. He meditates on his commands day and night. He's like a tree planted by flowering streams, flowing streams that yields its fruit at the proper time, and its leaves never fall off. He succeeds in everything he attempts, 
Not so with the wicked. Instead, they are like wind-driven chaff. For this reason, the wicked cannot withstand judgment, nor can sinners join in the assembly of the godly. Certainly the Lord guards the way of the godly, but the way of the wicked ends in destruction. So you can see we have a fitting opening to Psalms. We have antagonists that stand in opposition to the people of God. We have themes of the righteous being blessed in the end and also the wicked getting the destruction that they deserve out in the future. But it starts with this blessed, how blessed. Now, like it typically happens if you're looking at the original languages of our scripture, the words that we have don't actually express the emotion around the original word. This is one of the benefits of being Americans. We don't have like a language that's very emotional, right? It's kind of like dry and deadpan. But a lot of the others have this emotion behind them. And that's the case here. This word, how blessed, has a connotation of like emphatic, like you almost can't just say it. You can't say how blessed. It has to come with emotion. It would be like if you're writing an email and you type everything in capital letters so you want the person to know like I'm yelling at you right now even though I can't be. That is what it comes across. And the words mean, oh, the blessings now and into the future that will come today and tomorrow and forever. That is the meaning of how blessed. It's this plural form of emphatic blessing. And that's what opens a psalm. It's fitting, right? This is a songbook. It's not like a technical manual, right? This is something that comes with like energy and passion because we're gonna talk about our emotion and praising the Lord. That's how it opens. And it's a celebration and an opening that's fitting. It's also interesting and intentional that the focus is singular. It doesn't say, how blessed are the people of God? How blessed is your family? How blessed is is the nation of Israel? It says, how blessed is the one? Individual and singular. The opposition later is plural. The wicked and the scoffers. But the one and that's because even though you know, we are in a body of believers in the church and we're meant to hold each other up, a lot of these things hit on the individual level and you experience them. When I'm getting advice from the wicked sometimes, I don't have my whole family and church around me going like, yeah, we're here to support you. It's me. Just like it's you when you're out in the world sometimes facing these things, it's It's individual. The Israelites, they were God's chosen people. This was written, the whole book of Psalms, before there was Jesus and the teaching we got and the Gospels, the Israelite people. They were called to follow the Old Testament law that put them in a place where they were set apart and very different than the people around them. It put them in a place of opposition. And that's how the Old Testament tends to play out. And their experience was like this, to where there was constant pressure on them. It's very similar to us in a way though, because you and I and most of us in this room, we've accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. We've been baptized as part of that. We've committed ourselves to his teaching. Your teaching is now meaningful and it applies to me. I accept your sacrifice. I'm going to be part of your body, your church. All those things we have done, that, that is us in here. Don't forget it. But what that does is it puts you in a place of facing 
the same kind of opposition. From, from folks and groups that have not made that, right? Don't forget that. We have accepted it, therefore it applies to us. We believe it to be true and accurate in our hearts. That's our faith. It applies to everyone, but not everyone has accepted it. And that's where that pressure and the opposition comes. And that's what plays out in the second part of verse one. There's this opposition. And I'm gonna put this graphic up behind me that just in an instant is gonna be like, I get it. I know what that's like. I don't even have to read the rest of it. I have scoffers and sinners and the wicked and they are pressing down on me and they're putting pressure on me because there is a difference between us. They're trying to peel us away. That pressure pushes and peels us away from the commitments that we have made and how we're going to live, how our lifestyle is going to play out. Some scripture applies to, you know, not all of us and some of us, you know, some of it's talking to older men and children. This is all of us. This is all of us it applies to. And you know, you live in the same world that I do. We surf the same internet. We watch the same Netflix shows. We go to the same stores. We work with the same people at our companies. You know what it's like. We have the same relationships with people who on one hand we love, but on the other hand have a worldview that doesn't come from a Christ-centered perspective. It kind of feels like that sometimes. You know, there's funny examples like whoever went to Costco and said, man, I came back so encouraged and uplifted by the others-mindedness of those people. Man, I was struggling before I left, but I came back inspired to live better. Man, those people at Costco... <laughs> there's some more serious ones too. Like nobody came home from work and said, I, I shared my faith with a coworker today. I'm totally not worried about how it's going to change things now that people know I'm a Christian. I mean, if they have a problem with me or a concern, they'll come to me first before they form an opinion of me. Nobody ever said that, right? That's, that's the pressure we all know. We don't talk about it, right? But we, we say... We need to share our faith and we need to be out there. Um, but there's, there's opposition and there's consequence and there's issue. Nobody comes to us and say, people say these things about Christians. Let me ask you first before I just assume that they're true. It, it doesn't happen. I can take these words off because it's not really the groups per se. It's that there's pressure that comes from a different perspective. And that's what this first part of Psalm 1 talks about is the effect of that and the blessing and the blessedness that comes for those that resist and avoid it. We all get unwanted advice, though. You can't live around people and not get unwanted advice. People think they know how you should live their, your life. Even if they only have, like, one experience. I have a completely unstatistical experience in life and I'm going to tell you like because it worked for me you got to do it this way and then there's like if you don't do it this way why not I'm smart don't you don't you believe in me what's going on you know and there's there's that pressure that comes with that unwanted advice that might be pushing us in a way that's contrary to the commitments we have made another word for that's temptation right 
influence that pushes you in a direction that you don't want to go. But it sounds like, like, oh, we work together. We do the same things. I just got a raise and you did too. So what do you, you know, you should go buy yourself a new thing. Here's what I bought. You should, are you going to do that? Maybe that's true. Maybe you should, maybe you shouldn't. But it shouldn't necessarily be to make somebody feel better because they're looking for somebody to join in on the decision that they just made. That, that, that advice comes. Standing in the pathway said differently, living the lifestyle of those around you rather than the one that's centered around Christ. Um, we're not pack animals. Humans aren't like packs, you know, like one fish goes this way and all the fish just go that way too. But we influence each other. The behaviors and the things that we do and the lifestyles that we live sort of establishes what is normal and what is accepted to those around us. And if the individuals around us are living a lifestyle that's different than us and we're not joining in, it can make us seem abnormal. It can make you stick out. And there's that pressure to live again that a lifestyle that's not necessarily aligned with the one you're committed to, that, pr- that pressure's real. If, you know, if and I hope you're a strong giver and you have a budget that controls your finances and every year you look at, this is how much I gave to the church this year and you just briefly have a thought like, this is what I could have bought with that money, you're gonna see why there's a difference in your lifestyle than the people around you because they're not doing that same thing. And there's, there's pressure to be equivalent and similar to those around you. That's just one example, right? It's, it's real world. If you're given strong to the church, that's where your investment and treasure is rather than being influenced to like, I'm gonna go buy myself a new Dodge truck. Man, it's exciting. I could go to like the build your own website and like pick the new like diesel engine. And I'm like, I wanna do that, but is it right? I gotta do it for the right reasons, not because it's the lifestyle of those around me. Sitting in the assembly or said differently, taking on the beliefs of scoffers. I love that term scoffers, not, not because I want to be one, but that, that term scoffer, it, it invokes this meaning of like arrogant disregard for wisdom, arrogant disregard for fact, the reality of us, the things around us. And you can kind of see that in people around us. It's very easy to come up with like, this is my worldview. This is how I think things are. And it's really easy if I like discount some like convenient elements of reality that are like in opposition to what I think. Oh, I don't need to consider that. that uh, this is how it is. This is how I think. And then go out there and try and get people to join you. Like join me in this belief. Pay no attention to the things I've left out. That's the assembly of scoffers. And it can be challenging. It can be challenging because there's groups out there and they're putting forth perspectives that don't come from a Christ-centered lifestyle or even take into account full reality. But for us as Christ followers, if, if we're not just jumping in like, oh yeah, I'm part of that too, I believe that. You know what you are? You're traditional and you're rigid. Oh, Christians, man, you're rigid. I, that, those judgments and those assessments come out of a place of air, of kind of, arrogant disregard of like factual reality, but we face them and it pushes down on us. Advice, 
lifestyles, beliefs, all that don't come from a Christ-centered perspective will push on us. And that's what, it's, that's what it feels like. That's, that's what it feels like. It's, it's there. If you avoid that, that is the proclamation of where the blessing comes from. So those of us and those who are successful to avoid that, what is the alternate behavior? What are the things that are present in those who seek the Lord and, and his strength and power to resist? It's being rooted. I'll just put that word up behind me. It's not actually in there, but that's, that's the imagery. You are rooted if you kind of summarize the verses two and three, you get meditating on and obeying instruction from the Lord and doing so become like a healthy tree rooted in the source of knowledge and power. A tree, is, it's gotta be the best imagery for a Christ follower living correctly. I mean, trees, they're like strong and resilient and they're, they're, they're rooted, right? I mean, I can't tell you how many times I have tied something off to a tree and we're thankful like, man, I'm glad that tree was there because I needed to set up my rappelling ropes there or I needed to put my tent there or my hammock there or my buddy's truck is stuck in the mud and I need to anchor to something. Man, it's a good thing there's a tree there. That, that's what a tree, I mean, those things are strong. I actually made it when I moved from Pennsylvania where we have like lots of big, strong trees with roots that go way deep. I was like, man, if I get my Jeep stuck out here, what am I going to anchor to? It's like, no, the trees are like, like little baby trees. And then there's things called palaverdes, which it looks like a tree, but if you try and burn the wood that comes out of that thing, I don't, I don't know if it's really a tree. It might just be like a really thick weed. It's not actually wood. But though that, that imagery of roots going down, it brings about the thought of like, that's, it's bringing its energy and its fuel from the thing that it's attached to. Its energy doesn't come from itself. It comes from what it's attached to. And its strength to stand there in the windstorms and the everything else, it comes from what it's attached to. It becomes strong because of where it's connected. And that's what we are as Christ followers. We have the power of God because we're connected to the source of it, but not, it's, not, it's not our own. And that's the bottom line there is those who are able to withstand that prior diagram, this pressure, are doing it because they're connected to the place of power that allows them to grow strong and stand. The opposite of that, not rooted. And it comes up you know, next in verses four and five, and you can summarize it like the lack of a firm root system allows the wind to push you in whatever direction. And you have no basis for avoiding judgment or standing in the assembly of God. It's like, oh, it's actually kind of harsh, right? But that's the reality. It's the reality of getting pushed around by the wind when you have nothing to hang on to. We know it well. It's kind of like a windy place we live out here. People call that the veil gale, right? Everything just blows down in the fall and spring. The imagery applies there as well. I mean, y'all you have seen like in our neighborhoods because a lot of us live in these like kind of postage stamp neighborhoods I do and like big trees just blow down all, every once in a while. And you're like, why does that happen? Well, if you look at the roots of those trees that blow down, you realize it's because people have watered them wrong. I, I come from a place where I can't say water correctly. I'm really trying. Usually it comes out water, 
where I'm from, but if you don't water them correctly. And that's because when, when the builders come and build our homes, you know, like, okay, we got to put trees here and we plant these trees and they're like, okay, we need this tree not to die like in the next year because the person is going to call us and say, come give me a new tree. So I'm going to take my irrigation drippers and I'm going to shrink them right up next to the little root ball that's the, as big as the pot that the tree came in and I'm going to have it run like every day. You as the homeowner, if you don't change that, 10 years later, the desert tree roots, which by the way, go just where the water is, they just don't go other places, they will stay right there close to the surface because you're not deep watering it. And you have this enormous adult-sized tree, little bitty roots. And you might not even see it at first, but when it blows down, I can see it. I know. I know why that tree blew down. It's because those little roots can't hang on. It wasn't deeply rooted. And that, that applies to us. Even Christ followers, right? It doesn't we can have this like black and white view of like there's us and then there's the, the scoffers, right? There's us and then there's the, the wicked. Um, but we, we can have a little bit of an assembly of scoffers amongst us and it would look like not living a fully disciplined and committed life to Christ. And what that produces in us is weak roots. Weak roots that can't stand up. You know, and you see that also in, you know, our society and individuals around us, you know, they're pushed in this direction or that direction based on whatever the current fad or focus or pursuit or whatever you want to call it is in the media. And it's like, oh yeah, this, I finally found it. I found the thing I'm going to root myself to. And then it changed a couple years later and I found that it can feel like it's enough. But then in a second, that thing they're rooted to wasn't sufficient and it's their Tucson tree laying on their side with little bitty roots. That, that, that is, that's the imagery of the alternative to being rooted by the stream and producing fruit and foliage in the right time. That's, what the, that's the thing that we're called to, is to have this, this fruit. You know, the, for the Israelite people, that fruit was obedience to the law that brought about praise to the Lord. I mean, that was... That's what they were doing if they were doing it right. The evidence was praise to the Lord and obedience. They struggled mightily with that, by the way, but that was the fruit. For us as Christ followers, the fruit includes that, but it also includes the commission by Jesus to go seek and make disciples of all nations. That's the kind of fruit that we're called to create and why we need to be anchored and rooted. But if we're not we're at risk of being just knocked down. So we need to live a disciplined life. It says in Psalm 3 and 4, those who are rooted are the ones that meditate on Scripture night and day. That's a lot. It's not just like every once in a while I like do a study or I listen to a podcast. And that's discipline, application of God's Word in your life so that you're prepared. That's, that's rooted. You're able to withstand that pressure. Just like a, a little sapling that's been you know, watered like a sapling, it's grown up into a big tree, but it has the roots of a sapling. It can't stand. An adult Christ follower who has the discipline of like a 10-year-old in their life 
has the, has the roots of a 10-year-old. But you, you're an adult. You're facing adult pressures. And to have the ability to stand in adult pressures, you've got to have the discipline of a mature, Christ-following adult. That is, that's the implication. And it's the, a little bit of a convicting thing to us because you can look like you're strong, but when you're tested, that's when it matters. Guarded is the next thing, and it's the last verse. Verse 6, certainly the Lord guards the way of the godly, but the way of the wicked ends in destruction. We're intimately aware of how our choice has put us in a place to be under attack. But the hope that the end of Psalm 1 brings here is the Lord will guard them. You know, I have this little blue box right there to symbolize that. It's, we, we, have a, we have a guard that comes with that. Now, it's not that we're invincible. Just like earlier it says, the one will be successful in everything that he does. What well, That doesn't mean that Christ's followers are like immune to failure. Clearly, we're not. And we're also clearly not impervious to all attack. But what it, it means and what it brings out is if you have a lifestyle that's aligned with God's intention for you, if you're driving down that path, then in that path, he will support it and enable you to be guarded and successful. And it's oriented around the things that matter to him, things that are eternal, not temporary. He will guard you in the things that are eternal. He will make you successful in that because that's what he has done by sending his son to die for you. He has guarded your eternity. That, that is the hope in Psalm 1. And it ends with this, and you are blessed. You are the one who this describes is blessed now and into the future. So what does this mean for us? I'm not done. There's an application here in the what does this mean for you category that is more, it's meaningful now more than ever. Unlike the Israelite people, you know, who were the authors of this psalm and the ones who really used it as a songbook, we have been given an additional mission by Christ. You know, for them, like I said, their mission was obedience to the law that brought praise to God. You know, and there were some specific things like go into the promised land and possess it. But there was no evangelical element there, right? In fact, it was kind of quite the opposite. But with us, Christ came and he has changed our mission. He's changed our focus. He fulfilled the law and he said the way forward includes a different kind of fruit for you. It includes finding others who need me because it's no longer just the Hebrew people by bloodline descended from Abraham who have access to God. All of us do too, because there's probably not many of us in here who have a direct bloodline to the Hebrew people. We were all adopted sons and adopted daughters that were given access by what Christ did. And the mission that was given to his people is go plant churches and go seek out those who need me. He says it specifically. And I'm going to read a couple things in, in Matthew and Luke. Matthew 9 says, as Jesus went on from here, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax booth. Follow me, he said to him. And he got up and followed him. As Jesus was having a meal in Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with Jesus and his disciples. 
When the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard this, he said, those who are healthy don't need a physician, but those who are sick do. Go and learn what this saying means. I want mercy, not sacrifice. For I do not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Sinners, the same thing that was in one of those boxes just earlier. Luke 15, now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming to hear him. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law were complaining. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them in, told them this parable. Which one of you, if he has a hundred sheep, loses one of them, would not leave the 99 in the open pasture and go look for the one that's lost until he finds it. Then, when he has found it, places it on his shoulder rejoicing. Returning home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, telling them, Rejoice with me, because I have found my sheep that was lost. I tell you, in the same way, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need to repent. There are people in these groups that are part of putting pressure on us. Ben kind of brought out that imagery when he was talking about the Lord's Supper, right? There is influences that come on individuals, but those same individuals are the ones. Don't believe me, I put a green guy up there. You know who that green guy could be? Saul, who became Paul, author of most of the New Testament, starter of the church planting movement, the guys who we read and and. and get instruction from, that guy was the chief among sinners. And the group that he was in, the Pharisees. I mean, that, that circle could be the Pharisees and that's Paul. That's the person that Jesus came to call. That's the person he came to use, just like us. In fact, those circles are filled up with people. They're filled with individuals. And that's key for us to understand and it brings about a little bit of a challenge. Because when we put this together with Psalm 1, and then the mission of Christ, we have to be able to handle, there are groups, there are influences that put people against us, but there are individuals in our lives that we talk to every day that we have been called to influence because they're the one. Christ's heart honestly isn't for us to see it like this, even though it happens. He's looking for us to seek out those individuals it's, it's not difficult, but we, it's difficult, but we have to see through that lens. It's, it's imperative that we see through the lens that our mission is about individuals. That's Psalm 3, you know, 1, 3 fruit that's produced at the proper time is indicative of our ability to participate in Christ's mission, to go find those who are lost because that's who we came for. Fortunately, being rooted in Christ allows us to change from the arrows going in to the arrows going out. It lets us stand in the place of that opposition so that the individuals who are there right in front of us, we can love them, we can respect them and accept them for who they are. It's so frustrating. It's so frustrating that, it, that I think people believe that Christ's followers are against others. It's like the total opposite. It's the biggest lie that's out there. Our, our scripture that we follow says that we are to seek and love others. That's how we're going to be known to other people. And our commission by the person that we say is our savior is to go and seek people. 
So that's what we need to be able to do. And that's what being rooted does for us. It allows us to stand where we are encountering folks who think differently than us. They actually want to influence us in a different direction. But we can stand and represent Christ. And we can achieve the mission that he put out to, to seek those who need him. The, the Veil Church, there's energy here. We're growing. Some of the things that we talk about are like, we're going to turn that energy into buildings and, and footprint. And like Ben says, it's going to be there so that we can handle the growth that's coming. Some of that's happening because our community is getting bigger. Yep. Some of it's happening because us, our family, we're growing in maturity. We see it, right? The maturity and the engagement of folks here ha have energy and we're growing. And so in order to respond without hesitation, we need to think about it through the lens of we need those new footprints and those buildings that are there because we are aggressive to be filled up with the people that we're finding, these green people, the ones that we're able to go out and influence. You know, the imagery that Christ uses there is, you know, or Paul uses is some people's job, some of our job is to plant the seed. Other jobs are to water it the Lord is going to make it grow. And that's what we're called to plant seeds into water so he can make it grow. And that brings it full circle to like, that is our mission. We got to stay rooted so we can do that. I, our future um, is going to be defined by sticking and rooting to where the strength is. And that's how we, we can stay strong and respond in the way that isn't against others. We are for others. I have so many relationships with people who aren't like me. I love them. I respect them. I want to be the things that Christ wants me to be to them. That's what we should be. Thank you, Lord, for teaching that is challenging. Thank you for conviction and pushing on us, pruning us and making us grow. We are in challenging times. There's always been challenging times, though. But us, like those that came before us, need to seek you and seek your strength so we know how to do the things you've called us to. Allow us to seek you, be disciplined, handle the pressure that comes on us, but prevent us from being about keeping and make it about reaching in our hearts because that's where your heart is. Lord, we love you. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Veil Christian Church Podcast. If you have any questions, would like more information about our church, or would like to see the video cast of this message, please visit our website at www.veilchristian.com.